0: close your eyes with me this morning before we start just close your eyes no talking no distractions nothing to take you away from communion with God as as we are here in his presence we're waiting for you God we wait patiently because scripture tells us that When we do so, you come. And you come in power, God. You come the sound of a rushing wind. You bring healing. You bring salvation. You bring new life, God. We praise you for that. Amen. Today we continue to look at the life of Paul as... Pastor Gary has been preaching for many weeks, and I kind of wanted to take a different approach to a passage, because when you study God's Word over and over again, and I mean, I've learned a lot of this from, from Pastor Gary, is when you study God's Word over and over again, you start to think, what am I missing because maybe you've read a text many times and you think you got everything out of it, but the reality is God can always give you something fresh. His word never returns null and void. I mean, that, that that applies to when I speak it to you or Pastor Gary or Pastor Aaron or Zach or any of the pastors. When they speak it to you, it never returns null and void. It hits somebody's heart no matter what. But, but the crazy thing is that every time you read it with a pure heart and with a desire to meet with God and hear from him, it never returns null and void to God either. He doesn't speak it out to us and it just bounce off us if we really want to hear from him. And that's powerful. When I looked at this passage here in Acts 18 is where we'll start, I started to think about the network that Paul had as, as a disciple, as an apostle of, of Jesus, because The reality is every individual is almost, is is only, I should say, is only as powerful as their network. And what does that mean? Well, I think for what it means for me is I'm only as powerful as the people I put in power around me. You know, and that doesn't mean that I anointed Pastor Gary to be the pastor of the church. That means that I have to choose to surrender to his power and authority. I have to choose sometimes to surrender to my peers or my co-workers. I have to let Aaron speak into my world. I have to let Zach speak into my world. I have to look at the way they live and say there are things they do in the way they live that are a great example for me, you know? Because I'm high strung, so maybe I should watch Zach and how patient he is and how he never gets critical and how he never speaks a negative word, you know? I haven't been through nearly as much, not even a tenth of as much as Pastor Gary has gone through. So maybe I should look at the, the perseverance that he's displayed and I should learn from that. Well, Paul had quite a powerful network, a very powerful network. And what I, what I want to give you as the title of my message in regard to his network, okay, these relationships that he had is, is I want to call this, the rules of relational growth. Because our relationships dictate how many other relationships we can build. If I can't get along with my own family, good luck evangelizing the world. If I can't get along with my neighbor, good luck evangelizing the world. I have to have an open mind. If the people closest to me can't speak into me, then who am I ever going to reach? Because everyone else is going to realize that I'm just a stubborn and proud man. If you read the scriptures as we go to Acts 18, you'll find that there were a lot of people in Paul's world and and he had some dynamic things in the way he handled his relationships with them. Starting in verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. It's about a 64-mile journey. He went southwest. So Athens is over here. Corinth is down here. They're both in Greece, southern Greece. And he found a a Jew named Aquila. That's person number one a native of Pontus, which was a Roman post. Recently, he had come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, Aquila and Priscilla, you've heard their names before, because Claudius, who was a Roman commander and and demanded that all Jews be kicked out of Jerusalem. Um, Recently, had come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, Uh, Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. I got that wrong. Rome, not Jerusalem. I got the wrong city. And he went to see them. Because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. While Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm an innocent man. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. He left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crazy thing is that sometimes you face such strong opposition that you have to just move to the next city or to the next house. And this is powerful because it really made the Jews angry. They were the ones that developed the synagogue and they thought that they had the authority to tell Paul what he could and could not preach. They thought that they could throw a temper tantrum and that would make it so that everyone would join arms and go against Paul. Well, Paul said, I'm gonna go somewhere else because God is with me. The first point in relationships that I wanna give you, rule number one is you can't grow what you don't sow. Many of us were beguiled at the fact that nothing is happening in our family members' lives. Well, you're not sowing the right seed. You're sowing the wrong seed. You're sowing negative seed, not positive seed. You don't compliment them enough. You don't love them enough. You wonder why your wife has turned cold through the first 10 years or 20 years of your marriage because you're cold. You wonder why your husband just wants to go hunting for weeks on end or wants to work all the time or or get involved in all these hobbies, and you wonder why he doesn't want to be around as much. Maybe it's because your marriage is cold. It's what you sow. You can't grow love when you're not sowing love. You can't grow warmth in the relationship if you're not sowing seeds of warmth and tenderness. You look back at the text, um, the first verse... Says after this, and I think to myself, well, after what? After this, after what? What's going on? Well, Pastor Gary read last week about how in Acts chapter 17 he was at this place where he was dealing with Epicureanism and Stoicism, which Pastor Gary talked about last week. And Epicureanism was based on this idea that you must pursue the greatest pleasure, but pleasure only came through modest living. Stoicism was this belief that, in, in essence, you must be one with nature, live in harmony with everything that's going on around you. We actually have a lot of Stoics in America, a lot of hippies, a lot of people that think tree-hugging is how you connect with God. That's Well, that's not exactly right. But and he realized that he could not grow people in this people group if he didn't sow the right things. And so what Paul identified is he identified the philosophies, because this was a this was a place, Athens, that was filled with multiple philosophies. They were very philosophical. Like Pastor Gary said, they would sit around and they would talk all day long. Looks like the millennials that are standing on the highway crying, Hillary lost. For God, why? You know, I'm glad that, or they should be glad that I don't live there because I would just keep driving through them. I wouldn't run them over, but they would learn that if they didn't move, they were going to get run over, Right. In Acts seventeen thirty-two through 34, it says, Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Is anybody, is anybody with you? Is anybody taking after you? Is anybody following you? They bought what he brought. Is anybody buying what you got coming? Are they buying what you're bringing? That could be in a positive sense or a negative sense. Because you come, you come home upset about something that happened at work and it defiles everyone in your house. The Bible says, See to it that a bitter root does not grow up to cause trouble and defile many. Hebrews 12, 15. You know what wrecks a church? One disgruntled person. You know what we have to say about that person is get out. Get out if you're the disgruntled person and you can't realize that you need to get over yourself and start sowing maybe the opposite of what you felt. You get hurt in life. You need to grow through it if you're a mature Christian. They bought what he brought. Positivity produces empowerment and reinforcement in people's lives. A lot of you are the nitpicking, negative, naysaying people that no one would really want to be around for any period of time. And they know that because the negativity comes out in the first few minutes of a conversation with you. It's always a critique of something that you didn't think was totally accurate or totally right or totally good. It's always the nagging at your spouse. It's always the yelling at your kids. You have to sow what you want to be sowed back to you. You reap what you sow. That's the first rule of, re- of reaping and sowing. Pastor Gary's talked about it repeatedly. Negativity produces hurt, beguilement, depression, and death. In, in, that, in that order, hurt, beguilement, depression, and death. Sometimes you don't even realize how badly you hurt staff members. Or you don't even realize how badly you can hurt your shepherd. And sometimes we don't realize how badly we can hurt you. But Jesus was hurt beyond any hurt that we could ever imagine. And he went to the cross and you know what he said? He said, forgive them for they know not what they do. We should very quickly return hurt. We, re- we don't return hurt for hurt. We return love and grace and kindness and tenderness when we're hurt. Because that's what we would want. I hurt my wife you ever hurt your wife? Should we get divorced? No. Divorces come out of immaturity. They come out of impulsive reactions. They come out of being a baby, being a child. Kids are destroyed because you as an adult, a parent, you are a child. You're a four-year-old. You can't even strategize and plan correctly. Do you realize that a lot of times we plan so much, we plan the providence of God right out of our life? Do you know that God has an infinite schedule? What does that mean? You can set a divine appointment any moment you want with God. Because he is infinitely capable of communing with every single person he's ever created at the same moment in time, and he can hear exactly what you're saying, and he can come down and meet you and, and pour love and grace on you no matter what you're going through. That's our God. But we can't grow what we don't sow. Meaning, you can't grow inside yourself what you're not sowing inside you. You tell yourself you suck, you're going to suck. You tell yourself you're worthless, you're going to be worthless. Girls, you look in the mirror, you tell yourself you're ugly, you're going to be ugly. You need to tell yourself, God made me to be a beautiful person. You need to tell yourself, I'm going to be the best husband. I'm going to be the best leader of the home. Michael Jordan didn't become the greatest by saying, well, I guess I'll probably be average when I get to the NBA, huh, you know? No, he he had so many trademark things, he didn't care what anybody thought. How many other players before him do you see sticking his tongue out all the time, chewing his gum and jumping like this and doing all the things he did? It's iconic. We know him for his greatness because he told himself, I'm going to be the greatest. You're the worst because you tell yourself the worst. You need to sow positivity and power from the Spirit of God inside yourself. And then what will happen is, out of the overflow of what you've taken from God's Word and placed inside your heart, it'll go to others. You'll start sowing positivity into others, so that they can start growing and becoming their best individual in God's sight. That's what we should be doing. You know, I remember when I was younger, my dad oftentimes would say, okay, now it's time. He'd go out and till the garden in the back, and he'd get some stakes and some strings, and we'd pound a stake in each side, tie a string, and I'd have to go with a hoe and dig a hole, and he'd throw two or three seeds in each hole, and we'd pass some dirt over. And looky there, we got corn, beans, tomatoes, um, and it was different every year. Squash, sometimes we'd grow pumpkins because we sowed it. God is a sower of great things. Look at Genesis chapter one. God spoke and he said, let there be light and there was light. He breathed into the dust and man came up, something out of nothing. We're created in God's God's image. Ephesians 5.1 says, we are to be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children, live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So in order to sow, you got to sacrifice. You got to give it up. You got to say it's not about me it's about what i want to see in other people that's what god desires what you sow or or what you speak in life either sustains or suffocates you man you ever get so frazzled you feel like you're gonna have an anxiety attack your blood pressure just keeps rising you're just so angry and then all of a sudden something happens and you just have to laugh god i am such a child Gosh, you're ready to bite your wife's head off and then you smash your knee into the counter or something stupid that you never would have done unless you were that carnal and angry and then you just go, you're right, God. I'm sorry, honey, I'm a jerk. What you sow in the lives of others either sustains them or suffocates them. You could trace back to your childhood and you could identify how you became the person you are by what your parents spoke into your world right there. Some of you really need to overcome that. You need to say, what you sowed in me is not gonna be what's growing in me. No, what you're sowing's not growing. You can hate me as much as you want, but I still love you. Yeah. Overcome evil with good. Yeah. Love your enemies by so doing, you will be heaping burning coals upon their head. And they will have to either change or they'll, they'll deal with the wrath of God. Yeah. You need to speak what you wanna become. You need to speak what you want others to become. Rule number two, you can't grow what you don't know. What does that mean? I'm not talking about all the intellectuals in in the room because a lot of you intellectuals are so smart and you know the Bible so well, probably better than me. And you're so caught up in your addictions and sin that there's no way in the world God could pour through you to have you get up and speak. So he's got to use a dumb, dumb like me. You know, God chooses the dumb-dumb sometimes just because they're willing to say, okay, I suck, and then he says, okay, I can make you not suck. But a lot of you are so intellectually lofty, but you're caught in the deepest, darkest sin, and you're so ashamed that you can't possibly begin to be powerful. You got to give it up. There are so many people I could think of off the top of my head, and I could say your name, and you'd get offended and never come back. You are so gifted when it comes to knowing who God is, and you could be such a blessing, but you are ruining your own ministry in people's lives. Paul went from murdering people. He could have let that destroy him. He went from murdering people, and we look back at the original text, and this is what he did. Okay, I want to break this down for you. He travels, he gets done speaking in Athens. He travels 64 miles. He's tired, but that doesn't matter. He meets with a Jew named Aquila, A native of Pontus recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. And they're on the run. And he comes to comfort them. And you know what Paul even did? He does what a lot of us have to do. And a lot of pastors around the country have to do because people don't see that there's any value in their pastor. And so people have to moonlight sometimes. Pastor Gary talks about how in the original first years, he didn't even get paid much. He had to sacrifice all of his own stuff to make the church go. And that's what we're doing again. Every single night of the week, there's somebody there. Because that's how you build a family of God by pouring it out. So Paul comes and what he does is he sees their tent makers and he says, well, look at this. I can have God provide for me by making some tents. And at the same time, I can minister to Aquila and Priscilla and teach them the gospel of Jesus. So they can, they can be powerhouses. And the scripture actually gives indication that they had their own church and their own house eventually. And Aquila was a powerful pastor. And look at how the gift of giving just keeps going on because Apollos comes along and he, all he knew was the baptism of John. He wasn't even clear on the gospel of Jesus. He comes along and what Paul gave to Aquila and Priscilla, Aquila and Priscilla gave to Apollos and Apollos became a greater preacher than even Aquila and Priscilla could have been. You never know how great the next person or the next disciple is going to be. Go down to their level. You know, I want to say this. Some of you expect so much and you give so little. Some of you will say, I'll say, are you coming to the event? I just really don't feel like being there. You know, I really don't feel like dragging you out of your depression next time you're moping and whining and crying because you stubbed your toe or your girlfriend broke up with you. But guess what? I'm going to be there because that's God's nature. So next time, man up and show up. Okay? Grow up. Start sowing something that's powerful. You can't grow what you don't know. And what that means is you cannot grow what you have not experienced. Those who have been forgiven much will forgive much. And you can turn the, the evil negative into something that's the opposite. Because those who are hated much can learn not to hate at all. Because I've been hated much. Pastor Gary's been hated much. A lot of you have been hated much by your family, by your peers, by your workers. It doesn't matter. Turn the hate into Healing take what everybody wanted to throw against you and ball it up inside and say, God, turn this into something good because only you can. Right? Right? You look at people, you know, he wasn't a Christian, but you even look at a person like Nelson Mandela who lived a very carnal life. I mean, he wasn't a believer, but he went to prison for years and years and years. And because he was a part of a group that wanted to come against the government and kill members of the government and, and, and use bombs and guns and all kinds of stuff through war to wage war. And he went to prison and what he came out of prison with was the reality that the only thing that will ever change my country is love and forgiveness and healing. And it comes, it starts with me alone. You don't you can't expect other people to forgive you when you're not forgiving other people. What you sow will come back to get you. You sow judgment, you're gonna get judgment. Take all your experiences and, and and think how can I use this to grow? And how can I use this to grow other people? That's what Paul had to do. He had to pour into every single person. He had to pour into Silas, he had to pour into Timothy. What Paul knew was this. We think Paul, all by himself, is the most powerful apostle. Paul knew that just his preaching was not the most powerful thing he had. Paul knew that the most powerful thing he had, and this applies to you too, is the relationships he had with Silas and Timothy and Aquila and Priscilla and those that would live beyond his day. That's what he had. How powerful is your network? It's all in your hands. What are you sowing? You really need to know the seed and the soil. You need to know the gospel, which is the seed, and you need to know the soul of the man or the woman you are trying to get to know Christ. You need to care about them. You can't just say, hey, you want to get saved? That, that stupid outdated approach, that antiquated approach of people running around on the street and saying, Do you know Jesus? That's a good way to start a conversation. Ray, Ray, uh, Ray Comfort's running around like, well, you're a dirty, rotten sinner, fool, moron, mor- biggest moron on the earth, and you're gonna be burning in the flames of hell. So you wanna accept Christ right now? No, I wanna punch you in the face. It doesn't work. People need to know that you want to actually have a relationship and meaningful experiences with them before they're going to want to have a relationship with this meaningful king that you know, Jesus. Amen? Paul knew what he was trying to sow and grow. Paul was a Roman, so he had experience as a Roman citizen so he could preach to the Romans. Because in Corinth, there were Romans, there were Greeks, there were Hebrews. He just came where there were a bunch of Athenians. He could reach everyone because he learned about the people as he traveled. He knew because he was a Roman. He knew because he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He could minister to his own. He knew the Athenians because he had thoroughly studied their culture. When he got there, he said, Okay, here's a saying from Eretus. In him we we live and move and have our being. It was a saying from their philosopher, Eritus. But what he did is he said, that saying, you thought it applied to Jupiter, okay? This pagan god, this false god that you try to worship that does nothing for you. You think that applies to Jupiter? I'm going to take it and I'm going to apply it because it fits so appropriately with my God who actually breathes life into you. He actually gives you life. He makes you move. He makes you do what he did. He gives you power. He gives you healing. Mark 12, 31. And this is the Gosh. This is the tough part of being a Christian is you actually have to read verses like this. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. You have to ask yourself, I have to ask myself this, would I say that to myself? Would you say that to yourself? When you send along blazing email or when you say something to somebody that's just terribly demeaning when you get mad and cuss when you bash people when you talk behind people's backs would you say that to yourself would you say that about yourself would you want to be left out when you leave people behind and you leave them left out you know how much hurt that creates I've seen it happen time and time again We've had it where we're going on a men's retreat and there's a guy that's not on the staff and he's driving a trailer up and literally we all jump in the car and we go, man, somebody should ride with him. Oh, he'll be fine. And we go up and he ended up driving off the path and going to a bar on the way up. He almost didn't come because he was so hurt. We've had it where we'll leave as a staff to go to lunch and we'll literally forget one staff member. We've had it happen a couple times. You know how hurtful that is? It seems like something so small. Get over it, bro. It hurts. You don't want to be left out. You don't want to be feeling alone. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know how much you love yourself? A lot. Yeah. You're pretty conceited. You really love yourself. Yeah. Standing primping in the mirror, working out, flexing. Royce, I know. See, I'm just kidding. Aaron told me about what your habits, trucking and working out like over the top Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, going against those guys drinking motor oil and Alka-Seltzer and all those things. Yeah, I don't If you haven't seen the movie, you don't know what I'm talking about, but... What what would you want? Think about that for your kids. Because i got to keep this going. Think about what you'd want for your kids. That's what you should sow into their world. What did you want? What did you wish you had that your parents didn't give you? That your friends didn't give you? I'm jumping forward because there's a lot of hurt people in here. And God turns hurt into healing. God turns hurt into healing. Some of you are very hurt. And not just hurt by the words that somebody said. Some of you are so hurt you've thought, maybe I'm going to die soon. Some of you are so hurt you're struggling with cancer. You're struggling with something that you can't figure out. Some of you have been in so much pain recently. I was talking to Roy Hunter and he's got this pain that comes down his arms that they can't figure out. And he has bone spurs on his neck. Some people, you don't even know where they're at. You send them a text and you say, where are you? What's going on? Are you doing okay? You don't even know the pain they're in. And you thought your pain was so great. You know, we face this all the time. You expect us to be there at three in the morning, five nights in a row. You send us long messages and you're failing me and all this stuff. But here's the deal. This applies to everyone. This is not pointed at any one person because this could hit 15 of you, 20 of you. You expect us to be there to such an extent, but when are you there when the pastor is hurting? When are you sending the message of of healing and and, and of, of, of growth? When are you sowing those seeds of love? Are you doing it? Don't expect it if you're not doing it. Hurt can be turned into healing. Jesus endured all of the hurt of the world so he could heal all the broken and hurt people in the world. You think that pain and persecution are things that are so hard and they're just going to kill you. Well, you know the old saying says, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. In God's economy, that's true. Because you can be broken, you can be beaten down, and he can heal you to make you twice as strong as you were. God has deemed you a Joseph. God has deemed you a Job. He has deemed you a Joshua. He has deemed you a Moses. He has deemed you a David. God has said, you're going to go through hell, 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 hell. You're going to go through the valley of the shadow of death, not one time, two times, three. You're going to lose track of how many times you got to go through the valley of the shadow of death. And you know what? You should count it as blessing because pain leads to purification, Pain and persecution lead to purification and purification leads to what Paul wrote about called perfection. We're striving toward perfection and we don't want any pain. We should stop. Stop. It's like you haven't worked out in three, four, five months, maybe 10 years, who knows. Every time I go for a while, I don't feel like working out anymore. For like three months, I gain like 12 pounds, look in the mirror, I'm like, oh, please Lord, have mercy. And then I go for my first jog. And I feel like Ryan felt when he was in the competition this weekend. He's like, gets done. I'm sorry, Ryan. I was kind of mean, but he gets done. And he's like, I feel like I've been smoking all weekend. You know, when you're not quite in top condition, and you just you get all competitive. And he's over there like fighting Irish and the balloon stomp and like spinning and and wow, some of those guys are way more athletic and flexible than you ever would have imagined. When that competitive spirit gets inside of them and you go, okay, so you go into your first balloon fight of the year or you go into your first jog of the year and your lungs burn so bad, you feel like you have literally been smoking weed for decades. (laughs) It's like Cheech and Chong, baby. I was... Paul had to endure so much pain from people that betrayed him. He had to endure so much pain from people that hated him that literally opposed him and reviled him. You know what it's like to be reviled? That's a strong word. But it made him pure. Because what it does is pain pushes you either away from God or toward God. And when you make the right decision and you move toward God, God says, I can refine you more now. Okay, because it hurts when the fire burns you, but he uses the Holy Spirit fire to refine you. I was talking to Scott England this weekend about, you know, he's a runner, and uh, Aaron was asking him, what's your fastest mile? And in high school, apparently, he was really fast. He ran a 439. I was like, oh, good Lord. I'm going to go walk away and talk to the out of shape people. Yeah, Right? And so I'm like, that's impressive. And he still likes to run a couple times a week just to stay in shape, and I was relating to what... You know, we're relating to each other that it sucks to run, and sometimes it hurts your joints or it hurts your lungs or whatever, but there's this runner's high thing you get. And it's a purification because the toxins leave because you sweat so much that it's gone. And You get done, you may be a little bit exhausted, but you got this new fervor. And this is what God does is he puts you in this race that you never think you could finish. Like Paul said, you fix your eyes on the prize and you don't even know if you're gonna make it, but you just keep running. It doesn't matter if you're down to walking, crawling, you're getting to that finish line. God purifies you and he makes you powerful. Some of you need that. You need a little pain to get a little gain. You can't go to the gym. I see people at the gym and they're riding the bike like for 10 minutes and they leave. I'm like, you're going to be that fat for the rest of your life. I assure you. Stop turning on the, the view and getting on the bike. Get on the treadmill and get somebody like me next to you going, run, run. It's like we had a coach in high school who was psycho in the brain. Run, puke while you're running. I'm like, that's a little too far, coach. He got fired at the end of the year too. So, sometimes we wreck our relationships. You know, there's these rules of of relationships that say too there's there's too much control. There's a lot of people in here that struggle with this. You got too much control over your kids. You got too much control over your spouse. You're too, you're too fearful of what could happen. You need to trust. You need to trust that what you've put you. The only reason why you gotta control them is because you know what you've sown into them is not good and that they might turn against you. But if you're sowing righteousness and love and tenderness into your wife, I mean, come on. Come on. You know that you don't need to just domineer and control all the time. Fear and jealousy are the two greatest catalysts to control. If you're full of fear, you're going to try to control every situation. You need to give it up. Okay? You need to give it up. I was painting at my, my parents are building a house. I was painting and it was late at night. It was midnight or whatever, which is never a good Never a good situation. Whenever I'm working painting late at night and I got the Les Miserables soundtrack on, I'm like, em- empty chairs at empty tables. Now my friends are dead. God, why? I'm just trying to paint. And all his friends are dead. But wh- what it did, what it did, you have to stop and think about this for me, okay? What it does is it puts that, that soft side back into me. It says, I'm, I'm, not, cry- I'm not crying just because, you know, that's just a story. It's not real. I'm crying because there's a story that is real. And it's the story where, you know, at the end, in the movie, Hugh Jackman's singing, now I can go to be with God because I know I've been forgiven and I know that I've lived my life to love others I went as a man of hating to a man that just totally loved the rest of his life. And in the movie, um, Valjean is his name. He actually gets to take care of Cosette, who's a young girl, and she she basically becomes his daughter, and he raises her. And then in the movie, he also saves what would be her soon-to-be husband from the revolution or the war. And that was his greatest joy in death was that he was able to, to raise her to know true love and to know that even that God is, had redeemed his life and to save her future husband and to see them now, they're going to live and they're going to be married and they're going to carry on this legacy and know that God redeemed me and that he can redeem them. And that he was ready to go. If you're not ready to go, it's because you have things you need to take care of. I'm sitting there thinking, I, I know that I'm not ready to go. I don't want to leave my wife. I don't want to leave my best friends, but I know I'm ready to go with, with the reality that I know God has redeemed me, and I've been so blessed. He's poured so much grace on me. He has shown you so much mercy, and yet you forget about it. You, you got to think about how we, we in our, our busyness, we mistreat people. We beat the sweet out of people with our words. You wonder why they're no longer sweet. We beat the sweet out of them. You get impatient. You beat the sweet out of your wife. You beat the sweet out of your husband. We beat the beautiful out of your wife. You beat the beautiful out of your wife, not physically, but with your words and your body language. Get over yourself. God gave that person to you. Love them with everything you have. Your kids, they can be beautiful or they can be beaten to death. You got to build them up and tell them you are beautiful. You are powerful beyond imagination. God's created you with an amazing mission. People cannot um, be docile when we are demeaning, meaning they can't be open to surrender to what we're saying when we're constantly demeaning them. We have to be tender, people. Paul had to be, he didn't say, forget you forever, you're all going to die, blah, blah, blah. You realize that even though he would say your blood be on your own hands or your own heads, he would still have a few people that would follow him and he would love them like crazy. And even when people would do that to him, he would still return to the same city even though everyone rejected him. Because he knew that God would give him a second chance, so I'm going to give him a second chance. There's people in your life you need to give a second chance. Rule number three, you can't grow what doesn't die. Very brief. You cannot grow a seed that doesn't die in the ground. It applies to you. It applies to you. It applies to everyone. It applies to me. I can't preach in any kind of power if I don't die and surrender to God. You cannot be a loving person and a caring person if you don't die to yourself and surrender to Jesus. Rule number four, something, sometimes, okay, this is all for all the controlling freaks again. Sometimes you have to grow with the flow what does that mean? Life's not perfect. I was talking to Danny, okay, and this, the dooms are going to listen to this and be like, forget you, Nick, but Danny, no, they won't, but Danny was talking about how we were relating our pain from childhood, relating to this this uh, fact that he couldn't watch the Power Rangers. Why? Because they fought? There's too much violence in the Power Rangers show. You know, sometimes... We got to go, we got to grow with the flow. Your kids are going to do things that disappoint you. I mean, come on, that's a, that's an extreme example. You going to watch Arthur because they were negative sometimes or they were argumentative? If you can't watch Arthur, you should just crawl in a hole for the rest of your life. <laughs> you got to grow with the flow. When your kid turns into an alcoholic for 3 years like I did, you got to just pray your head off and love him and go to jail and see him and tell him he's loved no matter what he does tell your kids they're loved no matter what they do kids are shaped by the age of five by how much you pour into them and love them we have the gospel is only going to be carried on by the people below you you got to think about that we got to realize that we're doomed if the next generation doesn't change if my generation doesn't change we're doomed in america The millennials are so far from God. um, The the vast majority of millennials are so far liberal and so far away from God that we're doomed. John Hagee calls them the terminal generation. Final point, because I don't want to bore you. The final point I had, which I actually added last minute, because there's a verse that really, really, really has empowered me to realize that getting offended over everything and wanting to run away is not godly. It's Proverbs 27, verse 6, which says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. You know, all those people that are speaking so sweet and saying, it's fine. You're good. You're a good person. God loves you. You're a good person. You want to have sex with your girlfriend? It's okay. You love each other. You don't take the Bible literally when it says don't have sex before marriage. Shut up. Love rebukes. Sometimes you have to sew with a blow to the face. Right? It doesn't apply to your wives, man. Sometimes you have to sew with a blow to your dearest friends and say, Stop! don't go that path. Do you realize that Paul had to say to Peter, stop worrying about circumcision. You literally were eating with those people who were uncircumcised just a little while ago. And now that the circumcision party comes into the picture, you're separating from them. You are a hypocrite, Peter. That's what he had to say. Peter had to get smacked back in line, just like Jesus smacked him back in line. Sometimes you need to get smacked back in line. Sometimes if the shoe fits, wear it. Sometimes if the pastor preaches something that's hard to swallow, you need to just swallow it. Grow up. You need to receive it and understand that open rebuke is better than hidden love. It's better than secret love. I close with this. Paul, you know, we look back at Paul, and even though Paul separated from Barnabas, you know that later in his ministry he actually called for Barnabas. Do you know that? All the law lovers that want to cut people out of your life forever, that's not godly. Relationships are meant to endure if they're godly, they're not meant to just end abruptly. That shows a lack of maturity. That shows a lack of being transformed into Christ's image. You're not quite transformed there because you're acting like a child. We need to love one another. I was hearing this song as I was, uh, this, I don't know, this week sometime I heard, they will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. They will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Goes on, we will walk with each other we will walk hand in hand. We will walk with each other. We will walk hand in hand. Are you doing it? Are you loving your brother? Are you loving your sister? Are you loving your enemy? All right. If we can't get along and we can't love each other, if we if we don't realize we have to sow before we can expect anything to grow, we're doomed. And we have to have enough experience in friendships to know that you can't grow something when you don't know something. I was talking to Phil Sasweird and he said, I moved to this other business several years ago because I'm really good at perennials and they never had perennials. I know how to grow perennials. I don't know how to grow annuals. I'm learning, but I don't know. You need to know what you're doing with people. Some of you have been Christian for years and you couldn't even lead someone to Christ. You need to start building some friendships and start experiencing love of God in those relationships. Let's pray. It's amazing, God, that you poured your grace out on us as Jesus walked that hill of Calvary. was beaten and he was spat upon. He was cursed. He was afflicted. He was treated like the scum of the earth and he did it with joy. Hebrews says that for the joy set before him, he endured death, even death on a cross. He scorned the shame of the cross and he made the cross a beautiful thing. They thought they could shame our Savior forever. We need to know Christ's love inside so we can show it to the world. Please listen to me. You're sowing something today. You're sowing something tonight, tomorrow, the rest of this week. And it needs to be love from Christ to this world that is broken and dark. God, please pour your spirit out on us today and teach us your ways. God, may they know we are followers of Jesus by the love that we have, the love we have for each other. God, we pray in Jesus' name and we we bless your name, God. Amen.